Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. It's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we, along with our colleague Stephen Slate, wrote The Freedom Model for Addictions escape the treatment and recovery trap because it is a trap and the freedom model for the family. And I want to just remind everybody that we have this free masterclass. It's called move past addiction masterclass. And it is one hour live with Mark and I, and we're discussing why so many people don't find a solution in treatment and 12-step programs, and also how all those millions of people who do solve their problem do it. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to know that. And we we build it into a synopsis within an hour. And there's a little Q&A session at the end. Um, and uh, it's all about moving past a quote unquote addiction, right? A substance use problem um, without meetings, without recovery, without all the trappings of defining your life by this thing you used to do. Um, there's no reason why you can't move on from all of this. And so the masterclass covers that in a, in a sort of summary version with uh, specifically two lessons that we uh, also cover in the online program to give you a feel for our programs. Um, so it gives a lot of information. It's the best hour you could spend and it's free. Yeah. So and how did they sign up for that? So you can go to the, if you're watching this on a PC, um, you can go to this QR code right here. You just, if you know how you do that, um, and you can sign up there or you can go to the freedommodel.org and there's this pop-up that comes up and it's right there. Or if the pop-up doesn't come up, um, it's the very first thing listed on that page. You can just click the link and go and choose the date that works for you. We offer it every single week. So, and if you can't go to the live one at the time that we offer it, enroll anyway, and you can see the replay later on in that same day. So the other thing I want to say is for all of the, we've had several hundred people now at this point, we've been doing the master classes since uh, July. And so now we're coming up on six months that we've been doing them. And we've had several hundred people come through the master classes, which is amazing. 
in each time you get a coupon code to get 50% off the online program. So if you came, but it, it, that's always a limited time offer. If you came and now you're like, yeah, I really, I, either you maybe want to do the online program yourself or you want to give it as a gift to somebody else. Yeah. Look in your email because we're offering a, another special coupon code for the people that have been to our master classes that will give you till uh, New Year's Eve um, to enroll in the online program at 50% off. We want everybody to get that opportunity. It's a great gift to give to somebody um, that is, or to yourself. Yeah. Freedom, um, freedom doesn't suck. No, it's pretty great. So <laughs> it's pretty great. So we want to talk about today. Somebody brought this up in our, uh, the freedom model group, which is our private Facebook group. If you want to join, just go to Facebook and look up the freedom model group. And there'll be a couple questions you need to answer because we try to keep, uh, keep the trolls out, so to speak. So, um, we just kind of vet people, uh, to make sure that this is the right group for them. Um, but what they said was they they quoted the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous about the fact that alcohol use or drug use is but a symptom and really that the, the issue is that you're selfish, self-centered, or that you have other problems that cause. So so it's basically learned connections. And yeah, it's the it's the underlying causes of addiction theory that there is something causing you. To, yeah. to use some underlying mental illness, some selfishness, some uh, that your secrets keep you sick. You know, that's a common AA idea, right? That if you aren't honest with the group, this is such a cult thing. It you is. know, it's, it's the way they get public confession and get dirt on you and make, and then they're able to shame you. Um, it's so twisted. Uh, I was involved in all of that in the early years and it's not fun. Well, yeah, it, it is a, it's a cult tactic to make you feel, it's a religious cult tactic to make you believe that you're sinful, that you're wicked or evil so that you're more easily manipulated. Yeah. You know, it, it, AA's version is you're going to hell in a bottle. Um, you know, other religions versions is just going to hell. Right. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of playbook. That's right. That's right. So, um, but I want to. Why, can you read your response to that? Because it, it it's a good uh, <laughs> build up for what we're trying to talk about. Yeah. So so yeah. So this person asked that question um, in our group, and then I I posted this response. So we're gonna have to just fill some time while I get to it because I didn't keep it up on the screen. Yeah. So th what the person asked was that um, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say uh, selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of all our troubles. <laughs> and um, and then there was a, a fellow by the name of Tiabau who who was a psychiatrist, if I remember right, or a psychologist who was a friend of Bill Wilson's that said, um, yeah, this is not about alcohol. This is about underlying causes. And ego. And ego. Ego. Your ego, you know, your ego run riot. Right. Yep, or yep. or self-will run riot. Self-will run riot and ego deflation at depth. They said that you, they had to crush the alcoholic before they could build him back up again, which is what treatment has has been doing to people for years, except they don't do the building back up part. They just crush you. Um, and then you go to meetings. That's that's really what we it's had about. some great responses to it, too, in our group. It's a, it, it, it's always amazing to me. 
that people can read our book and say they've read it or listened to it more than once and and ask these kinds of questions. They don't read it. I don't. Well, I don't. Believe but I don't. That. I don't think that's entirely true either. I think sometimes you're so indoctrinated. Yeah, that's true. And your beliefs are so deep. That's true. It, it's the layer thing, right? So yeah. that you have to kind of debunk one belief before you can debunk another belief. Yeah. You hang on. Yeah. You hang, you on. hang on. I hung, I hung on for 10 years, but, but see, but all of these things can be debunked with common sense and with just, um, kind of opening your eyes. This is, this was my response. I said, making people believe they're sinful or wicked is a common cult tactic to break people down, to make them easier to manipulate. In my more than 30 years of working with heavy substance users, I've known a great many people who were not selfish and self-centered at all, who were actually kind, giving, loving people that had solid relationships and otherwise successful lives. I've known many who just really loved heavy substance use and they did it frequently. People develop a habit of heavy, frequent use because they believe they need it for personal reasons. It's not more complex than that. On the flip side, I've also known many incredibly selfish, self-centered egomaniacs who never had a drinking or drug problem of any kind. And I've also known many in, cause I went, we were in AA for 10 years as active members. And prior to that 10 years as children of people who were in AA, um, I've known many people who solved their drinking and drug problem, but on the surface anyways, it's, they were sober in AA but remained completely selfish egomaniacs. And by all written accounts, Bill Wilson was a selfish, self-centered, womanizing egomaniac until the day he died. And he wasn't drinking at that time. Right. So, um, so clearly on its, you know, when you, when you look at the evidence, the, the huge evidence there's no connection at all. There's not even a, a loose correlation. And, you know, you can be a, you know, a nasty, mean, egomaniacal person and never have a substance use problem ever. And it can, you know, conversely, you can be a very, I genuinely believed that I was, when I went to AA, I believed I took on that identity of somebody who was a selfish, ego-driven, egomaniac. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was never that person. Never. I had issues, no doubt. I had issues. Um, but being selfish and self-centered wasn't one of them. Well, most of the time, I I think that I was certainly um, self-centered because in my situation, I, I didn't have relationships as a kid. So I came from a very uh, unknowing perspective. And what I mean by that is I was unknowing of your feelings. So I would say mean things and, and then people would be like, you're a mean kid. And I would think I'm not a mean kid. You know, I, I just didn't, I just didn't understand. So there's a lot of times where you have what mm, AA calls, point. what AA calls, um, character defects, which I, I, I never God, liked I that. that. Me too. Yeah. Um, but, but what they are is really just ignorance. And it has nothing to do with really the drinking. Now it might play a role into it, but it's not causal. So, so to say that I was an antisocial kid is true. I, I was, and I had some significant personality problems and great anxieties and fears that a lot of other kids certainly didn't have. Uh, and as a young adult, I struggled with that through my twenties. Um, and AA sort of replaced that by becoming a guru, becoming a leader, 
and manipulating people. And I didn't know that I was doing that. That's what AA taught me to do. So it took somebody, this raw material, in my case, that was this sort of independent pile driving kid that's rude. And, and then it narrowed my focus and gave me a purpose that wasn't very productive. It was, it was not kind to people. And I was conflicted because I knew that I really wanted to have quality relationships. I knew that I wanted to be a better person. I knew I didn't want to drink and drug myself to death. I knew these things, but none of it added up. It was all the AA thing. And then my old drinking style lifestyle wasn't working. The AA thing really wasn't working because the more you do AA, the more you become a guru, the lonelier you get. You, hmm, that's you, for sure. You get, you become a target for a lot of really nasty shit. So so it just all of it never worked until I kind of outgrew most of it, started to figure out that it was all a trap. And I just started being kind to people that were close to me. And that's where I started. I kind of forgot AA and then got out of AA, got away from the meetings. Michelle and I have talked about that ad nauseum throughout all the podcasts. So if you want to know that history, you can find them. Um, I'm not going to rehash that, but but I had to sort through all that, you know, so what was self-centered and why was I self-centered? In my case, I was self-centered, but it had nothing to do with the version that AA was spilling. And, and it really confused me for a long time. And it was damaging. It was, I, it increased my anxiety, increased my level of shame to a huge level. Oh, yeah. And then I was shaming other people. Right. So because I was believing this self-centered selfishness is the root of our problems uh, narrative. And Jesus Christ, if you put everybody in the selfish box that ever comes to AA, there are people that have been victimized their whole lives. They're, they're anything. That was me. Yeah. They're anything but selfish. They're they're terrified. And yet you're saying, where's your part in it? You know, where are you selfish? Where you're self-centered. And you know what? I was self-centered because I had to be as a kid. Right. I had to be because fucking, you were victimized. Yeah. Because I had to really figure shit out at seven years old where other kids had parents teaching them. I didn't have any of that. I had nobody in my home teaching me anything. So fuck. Yeah. I was selfish. I had to be. So there, for me, it was a really, really, really caustic negative experience that, that really was confusing. I had to basically let go of my past, let go of AA and almost start new and I was lucky enough that I had a wife that was loving enough to stick by my side and walk with me out of all of that. It took me till I was in my 30s. Yeah. For me, that whole narrative, I mean, certainly it's the, the half-truths, right? Like certainly were there times in my life that I acted selfish and self-centered? Um Everybody has times in their lives when they act that way, yeah, right? It's part of the teens. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. So you look back, like, so you you cherry pick those things and say, Oh, they're right. Yeah. They're right about that. And, and, but when I really look at who I was and what AA actually did to me, the teachings there, it, I was already, I had already taken on, um, as the oldest child in a family where we had an abusive, like tyrannical, abusive parent, um, I had already taken on the role of protector and, um, I guess fixer fixer for the family. So I was hypersensitive people pleaser. 
And I wanted everybody to be okay and to be happy all the time. So when you take somebody like that and you, you, you this person goes into AA like I did, and then, you know, you do a fourth step, which is you're, you're telling your life story to somebody and you're talking about your, the abuse you went through and things like that. And I didn't write my life story like I'm a victim. Oh, poor me. I wrote my life story like this is how things went. You know, this is how things went. And, and. Um, and then to be say, well, what was your part in it? I don't know. I was six years old being called horrendous names by the, a man that was supposed to love me and being physically abused and emotionally abused. And, um, really, I, I you know, but I bought in, I, uh, to a certain extent I bought in, I'm like, yeah, I pr probably wasn't a very good kid. Oh yeah. I probably, yeah. I probably caused all these, I mean, at 15, 16, I was my, I, I was actually blamed by my, my, one of by my father for my parents having their marital struggles because I was such a bad kid. Right. So then I, I wasn't okay. I, now I have, it probably took me till I was in my forties to be able to look back and go, Hmm, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't that bad. I was uh, relatively speaking, I was a little kooky. I had a little strange, strange idiosyncrasies, um, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't a, it was more ignorance, I guess. I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't go set out to hurt people ever, ever. I, I, I do know that there are people who are sociopaths. Oh, for sure. And narcissists, but that, that's uh, narcissism. They're rare. Well, yeah. Narcissism is now tossed about. Out. Like everybody's a narcissist. Yeah, right? it's 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 all just, men. It's just stupid. All men are narcissists. It's just stupid. <laughs> They're it, not. Yeah, that that that's not that's not narcissism. When you've met somebody that's a, a sociopath or something like that, and they're rare. But when you meet that person, oh, yeah. trust me when when I tell you that you know it because they're extremely violent, manipulative people. Yeah. And and so I I don't I don't think that um uh. I was anything like that. I think I was just a scared, unknowing, ignorant, confused, but violent and antisocial kid. And I've met a lot of people like that. Yeah. Uh, fear well, will do an enormity of problems in your life. And, yeah. and that has nothing to do with drinking. Drinking was, was actually just something I enjoyed. Now, please understand that there when you get involved in recovery, when you get involved in therapy and you have a past like mine, you are ripe for the narrative that selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of your problem because I was that kid. Yeah. So then the narrative sort of takes over the context and overshadows reality. So the reality is I was just a scared kid that found a lot of fun in bosom. And I found a group of people and I, I want to frame this out because my drinking wasn't just I'm um, I'm trying to escape from my self-centered ego, which is what the big book wants you to believe, or that it's a symptom of all these character defects because I'm a fucked up individual. Um, that that isn't really it. I I liked the fact that I believed alcohol gave me a voice. I believed that I fit in. I had friends. We had a lot of good times, man. Yeah. I mean, the first four years of my drinking was a was a whole social engagement outside the realm of my insane household. 
And then I brought it back into my household and basically created a small drug house. And for four years, it was a lot of fun. Last two years were very bad um, because I hit it so hard because I, I just drank and drugged all the time. And eventually that gets old. But my point is, it's a hell of a lot more complex than just these platitudes that AA shoves you into that makes you feel like shit. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. And, and, and these black and white arguments that, that I have a spiritual disease. And if you grow up Catholic, that, that can, oh boy, that, that can really, really confuse you because Catholic church does some things that are akin to that. They're not that far apart in some ways. So now I'm Catholic and I love the church, but I don't love that aspect of things. I'm able to discern the crazy from the good. So I just want people to know that these things are never black and white issues and you're drinking and drugging in chapter four of the, of the freedom model. We go over a whole host over a dozen different reasons why people enjoy getting wasted. Um, and we, we look at those perceived benefits carefully and we, we say, you know, look at these, how much of that matches you. And it's all based on some positive experience with drinking and drugging, or we wouldn't do it. Exactly. Nobody gets addicted to something they don't like a lot and have like reasons for liking and reasons for doing in the way that they do it. And, and so I want to just pull this into the learned connections side of things mm -hmm. as well, because, because both Mark and I experienced trauma as a kid and, and the, the way that we grew up. And, and so people say, Oh, see, See, you had trauma, and and so that's why you're you both had problems. And it, it, no, no, um, a lot of people grow up with all kinds of trauma who don't go to substance, don't have substance use problems, or even other problems for that matter. Everybody deals with things differently. There has to be that when when you have a develop a substance use problem, the requ the only requirement for, for having that is that you enjoy it, that you like it. Because there are a whole lot of people that I met that had far worse trauma than I did, um, who, who didn't enjoy being drunk and high like I did. And, and there's a lot of people, and you'll know this, Michelle, there's a lot of people and people in the audience will know these people too, who grew up wicked hard, yeah. but, but also, uh, are very well adjusted, wonderful people. Now, my point is, is that you know, we live in an age now with gen, whatever it is. I don't even know what Gen Z. Yeah. Um, who grew up in the, our youngest, they're Gen Z. Yeah. They grew up in the therapy age that's yeah. taught them how to be fragile, uh, triggered. Well, that and, feelings and are everything enormously. They've been weakened in the mind with these ideas. And, um, we grew up, people say, well, what, what were we gen? What? Gen X. So, so we grew up, uh, in kind of hard in, in their perspective, unenlightened. Hmm. And so we're unenlightened yet. I know that frankly, we're stronger. We're able to get through things because we realize, holy shit, life can be a shit storm. And I don't think the shit storm is any less for anybody growing up in any age. Every age has its issues. Yeah, for sure. But the way that we have as a society attached drinking and drugging 
and an overdose crisis and all these different things to people's fragility or perceived fragility that you're fragile and that your feelings matter. Um, most of the time your feelings don't matter to the world. They don't give a shit about your feelings. And so reality slaps you in the face. So you've been told all this stuff. And now do I like the way I grew up at home? No. Um, but the flip side of that is I'm really glad it happened then. I am glad I went through the pain I went through. I, I always tell people I got the pain up front. I had to confront it. I had to deal with it. It was awful. And, but in the end, if I didn't sort it out, it was going to fucking kill me. I mean, it was that bad, but I know a lot of people that grew up that way and they're really well adjusted people. Well, they figured it out. And I think yeah. our, our kids benefited because, because we figured it out and we decided, yeah, that it's th that kind of bullshit stops with our generation, Yeah, you know? And I, I had a conversation um, with somebody that is a, a, a therapist that works with children, um, and recently, and, and it, it, it disturbed me a little bit in that, you know, we were talking about a specific situation and this, this person said to me, well, they, they just, they just didn't get the love of their parents. They needed the, they need the love of their parents. And I said, uh, Okay, because uh, about you know the substance use problem, they have a substance use problem. I said, well, that's, that, I mean, that's not true, and and so it became a little bit of a contentious, but argument. And I said, well, there's a there's, so how do you reconcile? If you're a therapist out there and you're listening to me, and you say something like that to me, um, what's the solution? Because you can't go back in time. And get the love of your parents that you never got. Right. Um, so when, so please be be conscious when you have when you talk about that, because I almost got the sense from this person that, well, this person's fucked. Yeah, because yeah. they didn't get the love of their parents, they're never going to be okay. It's like, no. I had I had therapists say that to me. Uh, yeah, I, I had like, therapists say that like, to me. No, no. I, look at I we all have these things in our lives that were challenging, that were difficult. And, and, and let me, let me preface this by saying this person was adopted and what the therapist was talking about. They didn't get the love of their bio parents. They got love from their adopted parents, which is kind of more than I got more than you got yeah, and to a true. certain extent, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, well, no, no. It, it, I think we we've gone. The pendulum has swung. Like when we were kids, it was like suck it up. You know, it's the this is this is everybody has a hard life. You just have a hard life too. And now we're, we're the pendulum has swung the other way, which is, oh, you poor thing. Yeah, your yeah. life is. You're just never going to be happy. I think that I think that's a great point. So the pendulum has swung. <laughs> And um, I mean, we're a little off topic, obviously, but I, I think it's an important topic to talk about. The way I parented ended up working out and I, I could have easily, easily slipped into trying to make up for the horrors that I lived through. Me too. But 
somehow I think it was doing this business of helping people with drinking and drug problems and going through the cult of AA and understanding therapy that I got a real well-rounded understanding of human behavior. And I was able also before I had children to sort out my own shit and reconcile it and realize what was beneficial out of the pain because there is benefits to pain. There is benefits to uncomfortability. There is benefits to not getting your way. Now, I didn't get any love as a kid, hardly at all, and a ton of abuse and neglect. Um, so I didn't want to have kids in my 20s. I didn't have children until I was older. And I'm glad because I had a lot of shit to sort out. And I had to get out of the cult of AA. So here's my point. It's not about child rearing or any of that. It's about who are you listening to and are you confused and is it getting better? Is your situation right. getting better? And does it seem logical in your approach that you're getting better? If it doesn't seem logical, if it if if somebody is telling you things and you're going, God, that feels awful and it doesn't make sense. And I'm just and, and you're spending all your time just talking and rehashing this trauma that you experienced, shit. this horrible yeah. stuff, I, you know, and there seems to be no solution. That's right. The, sometimes the only solution at that point is, is time and letting it go. Sometimes it really, there are things in my past that I, that I shudder to think about that are, were genuinely awful. And I say to myself, okay, that happened but I now have some control in my life and I'm probably never going to have to experience that yeah. again. It's life, you know? And did I forgive those people? I guess I just, I'm never around them. I moved away. I got away from all of it and I moved on to try and build good things for people in my life and myself. And and please know when we talk about this, I'm, I'm not saying that people don't experience emotional upheaval and, and difficulties. I, I you know, I have struggled my entire life with those kinds of things. Everybody does. Right. And some people more than others. Um, but there is, there is a reality to what the Stoics say and that suffering is a choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and a good therapist will do a couple things. Um, first of all, they won't tell you that your substance use, your heavy substance use, don't, don't go to a therapist for a, an addiction. Just don't do it. Um, there, you don't need therapy for an addiction. You need an education. That's, that's a great okay. point. That's so, point. so don't do it. But if you have trauma, if you have emotional upheaval, if it is your reason for heavy use, right? not your cause, but your not reason. your cause, if it's your reason, if, then it's because you believe that it's helping you, that you believe you're getting certain benefits from it. The freedom model can help you solve that because we'll debunk all of that, right? Um, but if you're going to a therapist for these this emotional problems that you have for trauma, whatever it is, make sure that therapist is, is allowing you to understand that everybody experiences these things. You're not abnormal. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't want a, a diagnosis for emotional turmoil. You don't need a diagnosis. You don't need magic medication for emotional turmoil. You need a change in perspective. Okay. And you need a way to move past it because you can't change. I can't change what happened five minutes ago. I can't do it. No matter how badly I want to, I can't go back and change it.
let alone something that happened to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, and so, so the way to move past those things sometimes is to make the choice to do it and put it in a different perspective. That's what cognitive behavioral therapy does. Yep. Okay. It helps you to think differently about your circumstances, about your past and, and about yourself. There's nothing wrong with you. I think one of the worst things that can happen to people is they get those labels and those diagnoses, whether that's addict or bipolar or a depressive or, you know, whatever label you're getting, a good therapist is going to show you how to change your thought patterns, how to change the way you think. I think one of the hardest things about doing all of this is if you, if you're a kid like I was, that was really, really mystified as to why people disliked me and, and why I had the social problems I had. I was always in fistfights and always doing the wrong thing. And, and I had a reputation for just being a jerk right now. People like to party with me too. I was a lot of fun. I had all these different sides, but the jerk part bothered me because, uh, I, I was somebody that I just didn't understand what other people understood. I didn't have the emotional backing that other right. people had. So I went around the world really uncomfortable, really, really paranoid and, and frightened all the time of what people thought of me because me socially I was just totally maladjusted. I just, you know, so if you're somebody like that, one of the things I, I always tell a story about when Jer when I met Jer, Michelle's dad, and he said that I was normal. The very first time we talked, I explained all this, how much I struggled in life emotionally. And he said, listen, that's normal. That's, that's, you know, considering where you came from that, of course you behave right, that way. Right. And, and that, that was, that conversation changed my life because it gave me, oh, I'm not fucking nuts. I, I, you know, and, and I don't have to drink and drug myself to death and I don't have to be an AA really like, like I, I didn't know that because I came from a therapeutic background. I, and there was no answers. It was just getting worse and worse. And I was rehashing. And every time I go to a therapist or was stuck in treatment again, I they, felt they, more broken. Well, yeah, they would go through the same shit over yeah. and over. This is why you are the way you are. And I would be like, I don't want to be that. I want to be successful. I want to see, I knew, I looked out at the world and I said, there's people out there that I want to be like, and they're happy and successful. And nobody until Jer said that that was possible for me. I spent 19 years of my life, the first 19 years being told why I was a screwball, yeah. never being told how to get out from under it. So I guess my point is, I don't want anybody in the audience to feel like we're bagging on something. They might be doing some therapy they might be doing out of a vacuum. We also don't judge it. I was in the system Me for, too. for my whole life since I was, well, seven till I was almost 20, right? I was in the system. It, it, it's, and it's ironic that my dad was the one who helped him because, because up until that point, um, he was one of the people telling me how broken I was. Yeah. Do I you think know what I, I mean? caught him just as he figured that out. Yeah. Got and, away from that. And so, and, and as a kid, I, like I said, I had no idiosyncrasies. 
you know, I think I saw my first therapist at like 10 years old. So, so, you know, I was OCD and I had real serious anxiety issues and sleep problems. And I got a bipolar diagnosis at 20 years old. So, so I, I, I have a history to talk about this. There's a, there's a commercial that's on television right now that breaks my heart because it, you see this girl who's like 15, maybe 14 or 15. She's sitting on her bed and her mom comes in and she's crying. And, and I can, I, I can remember feeling this way and feeling, and she said to her mom, I just, I feel so sad all the time because when you're a teenager, everything is all the time. Jesus, okay. No kidding. Everything yeah. is all the time. Yeah. All the time. I feel so sad. Sometimes I, I, I feel like I can't breathe. And instead of her mother saying to her, you know what? I feel that way sometimes too. So that she didn't feel so broken and alone. Her and mother goes, endless. and then it's endless. Her mother goes, well, honey, everyone's different. Everyone's different. Meaning I'm not like you. You, that's there's something wrong with you and we're going to have to take you to a doctor and get you on medications at 14 when I don't know a single 14 year old that hasn't felt that way at some point. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sad all the time. Now maybe there's some 14 year olds that don't go through that, but I don't know any, you know, and, or that haven't had that experience at some point at some point in your life. Right. That, I mean, there have been points in my life when I have felt sad for long periods of time. And, and it's, so there's a great book called saving normal and, and it's, I think I've talked about it before. It's by Dr. Alan Francis, who, you know, um, was part of the system for a really long time and kind of created the system, honestly, that, that we have now in mental health, uh, because he was the chairperson for the, uh, the DSM until, well, about 10 years ago, he did right through DSM-4 revision. This is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, right? So uh, it's the it's the holy grail. It's the one everybody uses to collect insurance money now. And, and what he said in this way, when he left, he said, hey, we're going in the wrong direction. We're, we're medicalizing nor- the ra- normal range of human emotion and behavior. And, and so now we have huge amounts of people that are in the system that believe they're forever broken and and, and because of temporary emotional problems that they're having. Yeah. People. Yeah. We've made permanent eras in people's lives that are normal and difficult. And, And so, you know, my dad, he wasn't a very good dad. Right. He wasn't very emotionally. He just wasn't a good dad. But I remember him saying things that were kind of reality punching. And he said, you know, Mark, life is just hard sometimes. And I remember I was bawling my eyes out about something. And uh, and that that was his that was his pat on the back. And <laughs> right. And it's just like, kinda, life is just hard. Yeah. You, you got to kind of just get over it. Yeah. Which which that you is know, not that's not the way I do things. <laughs> No, I don't either, but, <laughs> no. but I do say things like that, yes, but then I, but, but with kindness and compassion. well, and then I love the person and I listen to them and, and I do things very differently, but I also made it very hard for my kids at the same time, because I wanted them to be prepared for the shitstorm that is life. So, yeah. so I, ent- I entered challenges into my kids' lives, or if they were going through a challenging thing, I didn't add to them. And, you know, so, um, it, it all worked out for my children pretty well uh, so far. And, um, 
they're very independent, good kids. And, but I struggled, man. I struggled and struggled and struggled. AA just fortified oh my, my hatred. God. And uh, so let's tie this up. It's not selfishness, self-centeredness. That's, that's a normal thing. Uh, and depending on how you grew up or what you're going through is you may be enormously selfish for a little while based on whatever. You may be consumed with yourself for a period of time because you're going through something. And you know what? Sometimes we're just assholes, right? Everybody I've, is. I, I've been a jerk for no good reason, but because I made mistakes and treated people like garbage. But I really do try to get up every day and improve upon that. And I've really done that in my life, you know? But it has nothing to do with a heavy substance. That's problem. right. That's right. Not unless you make it. Not unless you marry those things, uh, you know, to drinking. And and AA does that on purpose. Make no mistake, the industry needs you to believe that normal life things are now medicalized and are symptoms and causes for alcoholism and drug addiction. And they wrap it all in a neat little package that requires a bunch of professionals to come in and fuck with your life. And you pay a lot of money for that. Um, mm. All of which that apparatus, that recovery apparatus is unnecessary. So get a copy of the Freedom Model right? Get a copy of it, read it because Michelle said it best. You don't need more therapy. You need an education when it comes to drinking and drugging. That's all you need is an education to understand what are the facts? How do I devalue the drug? How do I get rid of the perceived benefits that are bullshit? How do I get rid of all the marketing from all the booze companies in your dealer out of my head? And how do I devalue that experience enough where it doesn't serve me anymore? Then you will effortlessly move past it. Then if you have other life issues, find somebody to talk to. That's that's good at what they do. Well, I want you to think about something else. And I'm going to leave you with this with respect to, to AA's selfishness and self-centeredness. The goal of Bill Wilson back in the day was to create a, a to make a lot of money on vulnerable people. I hate to say it. Okay. Um, and when you make people believe you're a drunk because you're selfish. So the solution is is selflessness and service. Service to what? The cult. The cult. Okay. And so the answer is to serve others selflessly within the cult. Bring people in, create a larger movement, more members, and keep you there because you're fearful that if I stop doing this, what's going to happen? Jails, institutions, and death. It's all set up that way to, to grow a cult. Okay. Um, that's, it's no, it's, there's nothing more to it than that. Yeah, it's a money making machine. Yeah. The publishing company makes a tremendous amount of money. Yep. And so, so that's, that's, that's what I think we'll leave you with now. Look at the, the goal of the freedom model is freedom. Okay. It is for you to solve the substance use problem, period. The substance use problem is relatively simple one. It's that you see value in the way you use the substances you use and the way that you use them. And um, you believe you need them and you need to use them in the way that you're using them. And that's what the freedom model helps you to solve. So all that other extraneous stuff you can set aside while you're solving the substance use problem. That's right. So if you need some help, we have coaching. And of course, we have our uh, what we call CASP, C-A-S-P, 
and that's the Complete Addiction Solution Program. It's a workshop for two days, and people come. And it's they been meet. awesome. We've it had has. so much fun. We have somebody else coming in this week, and and we have uh, dates scheduled throughout the end of the year. Um, we still do have a couple openings left throughout the end of the year. We're only taking one person at a time. Um, so if you want to do it before the end of the year, go to thefreedommodel.org. And it's there's uh, on that main page, I think it's towards the bottom. Um, you can you can click on the link and go to uh, the the date, the page with all the dates on it. And you'll notice that sometimes the dates disappear. That means they're full. We've just pulled off a couple more. So um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, come and meet with us. But if you don't, if you if you can't leave home, do the coaching option. We just yep. had somebody sign up. We today. just had somebody sign another person sign up for coaching today. So, so yeah, so you can you can solve your problem from home during the holidays. It's yeah. it's very easy. All right, thanks everybody. Bye, everybody. I I hope you have a great week. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? Well, that's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.